John chapter 5, verse 39. John chapter 5, verse 39. John chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus was speaking. He says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. The scriptures testify of Jesus. The scriptures talks about Jesus. The scriptures explain Jesus. They testify about who Jesus is. The essence of the scriptures is an attempt to explain the work that God has done, the work that God is doing, and the work that God will do through Jesus. And if there's anything that brings you to the scriptures, the attempt must be, must be to see Jesus explained. The attempt must be to see Jesus explain. Even as the scriptures is exposing us, is exposing our weaknesses, the standard to which he's exposing our weaknesses is Jesus. Hallelujah. He's measuring our what? Our, our righteousness. He's measuring our perfection to the image of Jesus. Have we aligned to the image of Jesus? Have we been able to look more like Jesus? If you take away Jesus from the scriptures, then it's just like a novel. It may entertain you, but it may not transform you. Hallelujah. So what makes difference of all the books that have ever been written in history, is that all other books can inform you, all other books can educate you, the mind, all other books can empower you with information, but the only book that can transform you is the Bible. And the reason why the Bible has a capacity to transform your life is because there is a power in it. Hallelujah. And that power... Is as a result of Jesus. Amen. Give me that scripture we read earlier on. First, is it Ephesians 1, verse, verse 20, 25? Verse 16, yes. No wonder Paul will ask that he may know Christ and the power. There is a power. There is a power. And that power is a power that resurrected him. Hallelujah. Every, yes. I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray constantly to you, for you constantly. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you what spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. 
I also pray that you understand the incredible greatness of what? Of God's power. Hallelujah. The incredible, the incredible what? Greatness. The desire is that men will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us. Who what? Who believe. So this power is activated in your life when you believe. Many of us, even that are Christians, are not seeing the power manifested because we, are, we cease to believe. This is the same mighty power that, 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 did, that did what? The next verse, verse 20. That raised Christ from the dead. Hallelujah. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. That same power that has the capacity to bring a man back to life is the same power that did what? That is resident in you. In the person of Jesus Christ. And when we come to the scriptures, our desire is that we have a revelation of this power. Our utmost, you know, desire is to have an understanding of how to function in this power. The power that did what? That raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Hallelujah. Now I want to begin from here to talk about the resurrection. Jesus raised from the death. And I said last week that we're going to have a proof. We're going to try to go through scriptures to see, to try to prove how, is it true that Jesus actually raised from the dead? There could be a lot of theories, a lot of, you know, scientific attempt to do this proof. Philosophical attempts to disprove the truth about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ never resurrected, the Bible will not have any potency. If Jesus never resurrected, then you are without hope. If Jesus never resurrected, then you have no hope for eternity, both here on earth and even in eternity. Hallelujah. So my attempt this afternoon is to help us see and to be convinced in our heart. That is important. See, in this church, we will never stop talking about Jesus. Amen? He is our subject here. And forever, he will be our subject. Hallelujah. So it's all about Jesus. This is a Jesus church. So my attempt this afternoon is to prove to those that Jesus resurrected. And we're going to do it together. We're going to see it in scriptures. Give me Matthew 27. Matthew 27, verse 62. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priest and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that, that deceiver some translation will say imposter, right? How that deceiver, that is he's talking about Jesus here. That Jesus was a deceiver. He was an imposter. And said, after three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Lest his disciples come by night and steal his, him away. And say to the people he has risen from the dead. So the last deception 
I love that translation that says the last abomination. The last deception, right, will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a God. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know. Hallelujah. He said they should go and make the grave as secure as possible. As they know how, they should go and ensure that this, the, the, the grave is secured. So they went and made the tomb secure. Sealing the stone and setting the guard. Amen. To tell you that, you know, even man could not stop God from raising Jesus from the grave. Hallelujah. And do you know why? Because he is in love with you. So he will go beyond every, every, every arrangement to perfect his plan for you. If he has done it when Jesus died, even now he has, he's doing it for you. Hallelujah. I want to tell somebody here that there's no human arrangement that can stop God's plan for your life. Hallelujah. No matter the orchestration, no matter the power, no matter those that are in authority, amen, no matter those who have strategized and planned over the years to ensure that they thwart the plan of God in your life, it cannot succeed. Because God is far beyond every human calculation. Amen? So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Matthew 28 verse 11. Matthew 28 verse 11. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest. That means Jesus has already resurrected. Hallelujah. Because even the God could not stop Jesus from coming out from the grave. Amen? Behold, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priest all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to soldiers, to the soldiers, saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. There's no lie that can blind or that can take away what God is doing in your life. Hallelujah. There's no any form of manipulation. See, when God is with you and when God is for you, look at verse 5 clearly. And he, give me in Amplified, and he stooping down and looking in saw the linen clothes. What did he see? The linen clothes lying there. Yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went to the tomb and he saw the linen clothes lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen clothes but folded together in a piece placed by itself. Then the other disciples who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and he what? And he believed. What made him believed? Because he saw that the grave was empty. He saw that the linen cloth was there. And then the, the, the cloth was used. Verse 7. And the burial face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the other linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place. Look at it. It was rolled up in a place. Some translation will say that it was folded properly and what and placed. By, it, by, by, by itself. Hallelujah. So which thief 
coming to steal the body of Jesus Christ, if he's actually a thief, imagine this, if he's in the court, the thief will come in and then overpower the soldiers. Then in an attempt to, be, to carry the body, he will now unwrap a body that is, already, that is getting decay, right? He will take his time and unwrap everything, the linen, remove everything, and then keep it there. And then fold it properly and arrange the one, the face clothes, and keep it there, and then walk away with the dead body of Jesus Christ. Does it make sense? Even in a Nigerian movie, they will not make this mistake. <laughs> Hallelujah. I mean, it's, it's so unlikely, right? doesn't make sense at all. Jesus had the audacity. Amen? He has the capacity to raise, to, 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 to wake up from the dead. And he did what? He, he removed every clue upon him. And then he placed it and he walked out of the grave. That was what happened in his glory and in his power. Hallelujah. The clothes found there in the tomb were an evidence that Jesus majestically, gloriously stripped off the dead from the uh, strip off the dead man's cloth and leaves it there. He didn't go with it. Amen. He didn't go with it. I was making, I was looking through history and I saw that the, 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 in some museum in Europe that they found the cloth. You know, that the cloth that Jesus is using, covering his face, there are some archaeologists. I know it's not true. It's not even possible. I don't know how true that is anyway. So the place in the museum, you can go and maybe you can check it. Jesus majestically did what? Rose up from the dead. Hallelujah. Another argument, the number three argument, is the testimony of women. When you read it from verse, that's John chapter 20, verse 11 to 18, you see that women were the first to have gone to the tomb. Amen? And they realized what happened. And they reported it to the disciples. Now, the testimony of women after the resurrection of Christ is very, very important. It's very important. It's not an accident that it was first of all women that went to see him. Amen. It was not an accident. It is God's divine arrangement to make a point. Hallelujah. Why is it a point? In the first century, the testimony of women was invalid in any court. When women go to women's testimony in court is not regarded as, as valid in the first century. So if the disciples will fabricate a story, right? If they will formulate a story to prove to us that Jesus resurrected and write it in the book for us in their own time, that time, the first century, why will they, with the culture of the day, write women as, as, as part of the story? Why will they fabricate such a story of the resurrection? And recorded in the four Gospels. And adding the testimony of women as valid in explaining and proving that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. Amen. But God in his mercy, God in his own, God in his own power and ability. Broke the protocol of the day. 
Amen? Now, he broke the protocol of the day. He, got, he went beyond what was the limitation of the day and, and enforced the, 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 the story of the resurrection. There's no way this can be hidden. It's beyond just the arrangement and the, the, the program of men. It will be foolish and illogical to present women as witnesses. As we see recorded in the four gospels, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. This is very, very key and it's very crucial in explaining and defending the truth about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Another one is the fact that Jesus Christ appeared to many people after resurrection. Matthew 20, verse 19. We'll see where Jesus Christ appeared. And will hand him over to the Gentiles. Is it the right place? Matthew 20, verse 19. Yes. Okay, give me verse 20. Can you see our error here? Rather, but give me First Corinthians 15, verse 1 to 9. When Jesus died, he resurrected. He didn't just appear to some few alone. He appeared to even men. Over 500 of them. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1 to 9. He says, now brothers and sisters, let me remind you once again of the good news of salvation which I preached to you. Which you welcome and accepted on which you stand by. And by faith you are saved. Reborn from above, spiritually transformed and renewed and set apart for his purpose. If you hold firmly to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, just superficially and without complete commitment. For I pass on to you as of first importance that I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to what scriptures, right, foretold. And he was buried, uh-huh. And that he was bodily raised on the third day, according to that which the scriptures also foretold. And that he appeared to who? To Cephas, to Peter, then to the twelve. And after he appeared to more than how many? Five hundred brothers and sisters at one time. Not at one, not at different times, at one time. So it means that they were witnesses of the resurrected Christ. Hallelujah. 500 brothers and sisters at one time, the majority of whom are still alive. When Paul was writing these scriptures to them, he was saying to them that the majority of these people that Christ appeared to, they are still alive today. You can go and verify their houses. Hallelujah. Majority of whom are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. And then he was seen by James, then by apostles. And last of all, as to untimely, prematurely, traumatically born. He appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I at one time fiercely oppressed and violently persecuted the church of God. Hallelujah. So Jesus Christ appeared to men. Amen. Not only to the disciples alone, not only to the apostles alone, but he appeared to more than 500 men in different occasions. When you read 
In the Gospels, it shows the resurrected Christ. Appeared to Peter, appeared to the apostles. We even see where Thomas was saying that, I don't believe that Jesus Christ has risen. Even if they tell me that, I will not believe. Until I put my hand in his hand. Right? And Jesus one day appeared and said, okay, Thomas, since you said you, can't, you don't believe, put your hand and believe. And when he did that, he believed. Amen? Historically, Jesus was resurrected. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Christianity wouldn't be in existence. That's another proof. Because the foundation of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, it's not even his birth. It's not even his death. It's not even his, his, his burial. It's not even his, his being in the grave for three days. These are all fundamental part of the story. But one thing that brought about, that brought it alive, one thing that brought Christianity alive is what is the resurrection. Hallelujah. Without which there will be no Christianity. Then all of us will be fraudsters. will be scammers. That's what Paul says in verse 15. Move down to verse 15 of this scripture. He says, we even discovered to be false witnesses. We are even discovered to be false witnesses, misrepresenting God. Because we testify concerning him that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. Right? For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is what? It's garbage. And it's powerless. It's mere delusion if Christ was not risen. You are still in your sin and under the control and the penalty of sin if Christ was not risen. Verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are what? They are eternally lost. If we who are abiding in Christ have hope only in this life and this all there is, then we are all people most miserable and to be pitied. But now, as things really are, Christ has in fact been raised from the grave. And he became the first fruit that is the first to be resurrected with an incorruptible, immortal body. Foreshadowing the resurrection of those who have fallen asleep in the dead. That is, oh, I can't. I can't just imagine if you, 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 you can't just see the magnificence of this. It's going to happen to you. Is, is this your testimony? This same body that Christ had is the same body that you will have at the resurrection. Hallelujah. At, at the second coming of Christ. Says, For since it was by a man that came into the world, it is also by a man that the resurrection of the dead has come. Amen. That is a proof that Jesus Christ resurrected. Another argument I have is the martyrs. Those who died for the sake of this truth. Why will a man die for a fabricated story? Do you know that almost all the apostles died except John, right? They died death that was so horrible. Because of their profession of this truth that Christ resurrected. I 
I will not, I will not give my life up for a con concocted story if it's not true. Let's look at Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Now, when they had these accusations and, and, and understood its implication, <laughs> you know what they understood? They understood the implication of what Stephen was saying here, right? They were caught to the heart and they began grinding their teeth in rage at him. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, led by him, gazed into heaven. Hallelujah. And what did he see? And I saw the glory, the great splendor and the majesty of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That is the, the resurrected Jesus. And he said, look, I see the heavens open in, the world, in welcome. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they shouted with loud voices and covered their ears and together rushed at him, considering him guilty of blasphemy. Then they drove him out of the city and began stoning him. And began stoning him. And the witness placed their outer robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They continued stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive and accept and welcome my spirit. Then falling on his knees in worship, he cried out loudly, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Do not charge them. When he had said this, he fell asleep in death. Move to chapter 8, verse 1. Saul wholeheartedly approved of Stephen's death. And on that day, a great and relentless persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And the believers were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except for the apostles. Verse 2. Some devout men buried Stephen and mourned greatly over him, expressing a personal sense of loss. Hallelujah. Why will a man be willing to die for a story that is not true? Why will a man be willing to lay down his life? You know the reason why many of us when they say deny Jesus and you will leave, it's because we, do, we have not come to this place of this truth being an, an experience for us. Amen? We've not come to this place where this truth is a reality. We've not come to this place of this conviction that it is true Jesus died and he was resurrected. So when they say deny Jesus, just for, just for pizza, you will deny him. Not even dead. Simple as food, you deny Jesus. And again and again. And you don't even feel your conscience pricked. What if today you are, you are held with a gun on your head and say, deny Jesus. Deny his resurrection. Deny that he, he didn't die, he didn't ri raise from the dead. See, there are some truth. There are some facts that I am willing to lay my life for. You know why? Because I don't have an option. Amen? And these are some fundamental truth that we cannot exchange it for anything. If you take away this from me, you've taken away everything. Hallelujah. We could, we could, we could disagree on anything, even in the faith. We could disagree on doctrines, but we cannot disagree on this one and see fellowship together. Amen? 
anybody that disagrees on this is not Christianity, it's a cult. Hallelujah. If you say Jesus is not the Son of God, you say that uh, he didn't die and he didn't raise again, rise again, then it's not Christianity. That's one way to identify a cult. Hallelujah. These are very few of the facts that prove that Jesus rose again sometimes over 2,000 years ago. Now, time will not permit me to go into more details. But I want to do this. What happened when Jesus rose from the death, from the grave? John chapter 20, verse 14 to 18. Give me that scripture quickly. What happened when he rose from the grave? Verse 20. Uh, verse 14. John, not Matthew. Twenty-four. Yeah. After saying this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you crying? For whom are you looking? Supposing that he was a gardener, she replied, Sir, if you are the one who has carried him away from here, tell me where you have put him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. He has not yet what? Which means that he needed to ascend to the Father. Hallelujah. I am not yet ascended to the Father. That was after the resurrection. I am not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and do what? And tell them, I am ascending. When Jesus Christ rose from the grave, we became his brothers. Hallelujah. Amen. Go and tell my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene came reporting to the disciples that she had seen the Lord and he met and he, he said these things to her. Hallelujah. Jesus after resurrection, after the resurrection ascended into heaven to present, to present himself to the father. Now the redemption of mankind did not end on the cross. Hallelujah. Of course, we can sing on that cross. We can dance on the cross. But the, 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 the salvation story did not end on the cross. It's not even in the suffering alone. It's not even in his humanity alone. Jesus had to test hell for three days and three nights. That is his eternal death for sin. He had to go where sinners must go. Right? Now, the redemption of mankind also did not finish at the resurrection from the grave. As powerful, as fundamental the resurrection is, the salvation story did not end there. Hallelujah. Because Jesus Christ resurrected with a body. Jesus had to finish the work by presenting himself before the Father. Hallelujah. He had to do what? Finish the work of salvation. So we started by what? His humanity, his divinity. He became a man. He lived like us. We saw his glory. We touched him. We experienced him. We saw all that he pertained to the Christ. He suffered. Right? He, he, he was persecuted. He was killed. He died. We proved that he died. Yes. 
on the cross. We proved that he was buried for three days. And we also saw where he went when he was buried. And we also proved right now that he resurrected. Not only that he resurrected, many people saw him as a resurrected Christ. Hallelujah. But before people could see him, before people could even touch him, there was something he did that was very significant to what? To our salvation. Hallelujah. He had to present himself to the Father. So why did Jesus Christ appear before the Father for after the resurrection? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11. Quickly give me that scripture. This is the reason why Jesus must appear before the Father. Because without the remission, without the shedding of blood, there is no what? There is no remission of sins. As Jesus was there standing after resurrection, the issue of our sins has not been, has not been solved. Hallelujah. Sins in practice, in their misgivings, have not been atoned for. The atonement for our sins is not on the cross. Amen? I know I'm shifting a lot of doctrinal perspectives here. We'll come back to see that, right? Sin was not atoned for on the cross. Sin was atoned for in heaven. Hallelujah. Give me Leviticus 17 verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you to the altar. I think I will need more time. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement. That atonement has to do with what? Another translation. What does that atonement mean? Cross it for me. Hmm? We are not following. For the life of the body is in his blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you. Right? Making you right with God. So making us right with God was not done on the cross. Hallelujah. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22. Hebrews 9 22. In fact, according to the law, of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no what? There is no forgiveness. Hallelujah. There is no forgiveness for sins. Now, the Old Testament practices were the picture of the things to come. The Old Testament laws and everything that happened in the Old Testament were a shadow of what Christ will accomplish for us. Were a pictorial presentation of what Jesus will come to accomplish for us. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1. Go back to chapter 8 verse 1 of that same Hebrews. 8 verse 1 to 5. It says, there is the main, here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat in the place of honor. He is beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There is there he is ministers. What? There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. Hallelujah. The next verse. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest since there are already a priest who offer gifts required by the law. So the place of that sacrifice is not on the earth. 
Amen? Verse 5. They serve in a system of worship that is only a what? A copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. So Moses peeped into heaven. Hallelujah. And then he took notes. And he came down and he said, okay, this was what I saw. And then he followed it to its details. Hallelujah. To give us a picture of what Christ will establish for us. Amen. Chapter 9, verse 22 of Hebrews 24. Chapter 9, Hebrews 9, 22 to 24. Are we enjoying this teaching? In fact, according to the law of Moses, yes, we read this earlier on, right? Okay, verse 23. That is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of the things in heaven, things in where? In heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with a better sacrifice than the blood of animals. Hallelujah. I'm leading us to somewhere to see that the things in heaven also need to be purified with a blood, but not the blood of bulls and rams and cattle. That is why, verse 24, rather. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets in patterns, in shadows, in symbols. Trying to communicate what he will accomplish in Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. Hebrews 10, verse 4. Plenty of scriptures is good for our spiritual health. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats, goats to take away what? Is it sin or sins? Sins. If the Bible you have is not borrowed, cycle that sins. Amen. To take away what sins, right? The next verse. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you do not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. That body that was offered was a resurrected body. Amen? Now let's move to the next verse. Long ago, God spoke. No, now you've, you've lost me. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4. Yes, verse 6. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Sin. This one is sin now. The next one. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or, for, or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. No way. You pleased with them. Though they were required by the law of who? It was Moses that instituted this, in, right? Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. Taking away that which Moses instituted, which is obsolete, which has no power to take away our sins in literary form. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. Now, the shedding of blood is different from the outpouring of blood. Amen? The shedding of blood is different from what? The outpouring of blood. When Jesus Christ was born, blood gushed out. Is it that blood that washed away your sins? 
When Jesus Christ was circumcised, blood came out. Was it that blood that took away your sins? When Jesus Christ was beaten, blood came out. Was that the blood that took away your sins? What about the one on the cross when they nailed him? Oftentimes when we talk about the blood, we think about, we think about that one on the cross. Oh, the blood of Jesus that washed away my sins. It's true but not accurate. Hallelujah. It's very important that we understand these facts because that is where our faith will be founded and grounded. Amen? Good. So shedding of blood is found in the Old Testament in types and shadows and only done by the high priest. By who? By the high priest. Leviticus 16 verse 14. Leviticus 16 verse 14. Please, me let them add more 10 minutes for me. I need to end this. Leviticus 16 verse 14. Then he must take some of the blood of the bull. Who? The high priest, right? Then he must take some of the blood of the bull, dip his finger in it, and sprinkle it on where? The east side of the atonement cover. He must sprinkle the blood seven times with his finger in front of the atonement cover. Then Aaron must slaughter the first goat as a sin offering for the people and carry its blood behind the inner curtain. There is somewhere where this is done. The priest goes behind the curtain to, up, to do this. Where visible eyes don't see what happened behind the curtain. Only the priest goes in there. Yea, he will sprinkle the God's blood, the God's blood over the atonement cover and in front of it, just as he did with the bull's blood. Through this process, what will happen? He will purify the most holy place and he will do the same for the entire tabernacle because of the defiling sin and rebellion of the Israelites. Some translations will say his, the transgression of the Israelites. Amen? The transgressions of the Israelites. Verse 17, right? No one else, look at this, very important. No one else is allowed inside the tabernacle. When Aaron enters it for the purification ceremony in the most holy place. Where is the location? The most holy place of the tabernacle. Remember this tabernacle is a picture of the things he see. He saw about what was in heaven, right? So this was done in the most holy place. No one may enter until he comes out again after purifying himself. His family and all the congregation of Israel making them right with God. So that act that he does all that he did in the most holy place makes the people of Israel right with God. That was the same thing that Jesus Christ executed to make us right with God. Where? In the most holy place. It was not on the cross. It was not in the grave. Hallelujah. It was where? It was in heaven. No wonder Jesus would say, don't come to me yet. I'm not yet ascended to the Father. Unto my Father and unto your Father. To your God and unto my God. Hallelujah. Blood poured out of Jesus in different, I've said this. And all this, none of this was a representation of the types of what was noted in Leviticus 16. This shedding of blood was accomplished when Jesus rose again and ascended to heaven. It couldn't be when he was tortured or crucified on the cross. These are called in heaven before God so that we all can stand before him guiltless. Amen. So that all of us could stand before God guiltless. So if there's any way this could be executed, it must be before in the holies. The tabernacle represents heavenly things. And the holies of holies represent the very presence of God. The mercy seat represents 
it's a position in the right hand of God. The right hand of God simply means a place of authority and power. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 talks about this. Let's go back to that. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 again to look at it. It occurred in heaven before God so that we all can stand before God guiltless. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without what? The shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Hallelujah. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. 23. That is why the tabernacle and everything in it were copies of things in heaven and had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real thing in heaven had to be purified with a far better sacrifice than the blood of what? Of animals. For Christ, now look at it here. This is how Christ performed that which was done. It says, for Christ did not enter into a holy place made with what? With human hands. Which means that Christ went to somewhere that was not material. Amen. If you're thinking of heaven, you're thinking of a house, a mansion, and cars, you will, be, you will be disappointed because heaven is not about cars and mansions. In fact, there's nothing like houses and edifices like this. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to what? To appear now before God on our behalf. On our behalf. He appeared before God on our behalf. The shedding of blood is a sprinkling of blood on the mercy seat. That is a shedding of blood without which there is no forgiveness. The shedding of blood is what? Is a sprinkling of blood on the mercy seat within the veil in the holy of holies out of the sight of men where men could not see. That was where the forgiveness, forgiveness of our sins was executed. It was done only in the presence of God. Between the high priest and God for the people, but not in the presence of the people. So you and I cannot contribute to the shedding of, 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 of the blood. It's only the high priest. And in this context, the high priest is who? It's Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The people have no role in this. You and I have no role in this. Only Christ has the power, only Christ has the ability to go into the holies of holies and then shed the blood on the mercy seat. Jesus now is the high priest. We read this. He must take his blood to the heavenly tabernacle, not made by men. This was done in heaven and not on the cross. This act done in heaven gives us access to God. Hallelujah. It gave us what? Access. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 19. This that Christ did gives us access, access. All of us, we now have access before God. So now we can stand before God. And so, dear brothers and sisters, this is the implication of that Jesus standing before God. So, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly, hallelujah, amen. We can do what? We can boldly now. As we are here, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Now, that blood is his life. We saw earlier on that the life is in the blood. The resurrected life of Jesus Christ is a representation of that blood that is on the mercy seat. Hallelujah. So, we, you and I, have now freedom and the liberty to access God directly.
That is what it means. Brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Next verse. By his death, Jesus opened a new and a life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest, amen, who rules over God's house? Where does he rule? He rules because he's seated on the throne. That mercy seat. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with the Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we are firm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to the acts of love and good works. The next verse is one is very key, is very key in this church. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some of us in this church do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Hallelujah. You and I have the ability to come to the presence of God based on this act of him appearing before God, based on this reality of Jesus Christ, you know, presenting his resurrected body. That is what the shedding of blood means. Amen. The blood is, the only, is only meant for our relationship with God. Nothing more. The blood, listen to this, the blood is meant for what? Our relationship with God alone. Nothing more than that. If you appropriate the blood for protection, that is African magic. It's witchcraft. It's not the Bible. The blood is only meant for our relationship with God. No way in scripture is the blood of Jesus used for prayers. No way in scriptures is the blood of Jesus used to cover houses. No way in scriptures is the blood of Jesus used to cover ourselves with the blood of Jesus. I'm offending some people. I've prayed this prayer before. Amen. So if you say you cover yourself with the blood of Jesus, for what? That's not the use of the blood. How did he get it? Where did he get it? How did, how did the blood of Jesus... Are you the high priest? Do you have the ability to appropriate the blood of Jesus? Hallelujah. Because something is, 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 is institutionalized, does not mean it's right. For something to be practiced for years does not mean it is right. Hallelujah. We do nothing in regard to the blood. Only Jesus, the high priest, does, there, does that for us. Therefore, we, can use, we, can't, we cannot use the blood. He alone appropriates the blood. We pray in the name of Jesus, not in the blood of Jesus. He gave us a name. We sang about it, right? Not the blood. The blood is not for prayers. Amen? The name of Jesus Christ is what we have as a power to overcome the kingdom of darkness. Hallelujah. Let's rise on our feet.